This week, we talk about whether startups should donate a portion of their profits to charity, reopening offices post-pandemic, a new marketing idea, and more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, I've been, I know I said I was already done with my end of year finance preparations for 2021, but I've been doing a little bit more of it. And, uh, I had one of those moments where like, I think I invented money out of thin air. Like, I think I realized we're going to make more money next year than I realized Are you certain without actually doing anything. Are you certain it's not a spreadsheet error? Uh, this particular thing, it could be an error. It's not a spreadsheet error. Basically what I realized is we raised prices earlier this year. And our annual revenue per user, our ARPU, has been going up by about $0.08 cents per month. And we have about 24,000 users. So multiply $0.08 cents by 24,000 users, and it actually adds up to about $20,000 in ARR, annual recurring revenue, each month is added just by basically churning out $10 users and replacing them with $15 users. So when I think about user growth, I normally think about, or when I think about revenue growth, I normally think about like we added however many users and the average cost per user is whatever. And so that's our revenue growth. What I didn't factor in is, at least for the time being, we've got another $20,000 in ARR growth every month, just kind of built in because of the price increase. And you haven't you know, reallocated that yet to new spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It'll, it'll stop eventually. Like eventually. So we were at $10, now we're at 15 over time, more and more of our customer base will be paying us $15, which means this like ARPU, it'll kind of like plateau at some point. So this is temporary, but I think for at least a year or two, we just kind of have free extra money, even if like we don't add any new users, if we just replace $10 users with $15 users. Free money is a good thing. I wish I could get some yeah. free money. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what well, do you now got? I'm thinking like, what are we going to do with it? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What are you going to do with all this free money? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to... I'm trying to like wait for it to actually happen to a hundred percent say, but I'm, I mean, I always default to look at hiring people. Um, I don't think it changes who we hire. It just, instead of maybe we hire someone in 2022, maybe we can afford them in 2021 or something like that. Is there anything that do you, do you even consider just saying, Hey, let's just save that. Uh, we consider it. Well, there's, there's two ways to interpret, save it. There's, keep it in the company as just cash or there's pay it out to, I guess, shareholders would be the generic way to say this. But in our case, there's four of us partners who we would just pay it out to. Um, we kind of have a system with partner raises where it's like, we we have a way of allocating money to us, but I, I don't know. It's, it's How would you go about deciding this? Like how, how much do you give to yourself versus keeping the, the business versus and reinvest? It feels like timing to me. I don't know. I wonder... I guess um, how how bullish are, are you on the business right now, and you know, is it something that you want to uh, invest more in? I guess it's a it's it's like treat it like an investment. Is this, is now the time to invest money into uh, into Snowing Serum? Is it is now the time to sort of play it safe and put it in the bank and use it later, or is now the time yeah. to reward people, especially your partners? 
um, for a job well done after what is it, ten years now? Yeah. Okay. So let me let me talk about each of these. I think putting it in the bank is the least appealing one, not because it's a bad idea, but I already have rules for myself where it's like I just I don't like having to make the decision every month how much we're going to save. So I just have a formula. It's like based on how much we made last month, here's how much you put in, and it more or less keeps us at about two months of revenue in the bank at any given time. I think having more than that is like not a good use of money. Like if, you, if you're saving too much money, it's like, couldn't you deploy that in some way? Um, so I'm already doing that. So you don't need to save more. Don't need to save more. We also similar, similarly kind of like partners already get 20,000, at least $20,000 a year raises. Um, and then also there's like a little profit sharing thing where if we give extra stuff to employees, for example, if we give employees raises above and beyond what they expected or better benefits or something like that, we effectively split some of the reward goes to partners, some of the reward goes to employees. So we have a system for that. There's still a question of like, how much do we put towards that? To answer your question about, yeah, I, it's always the time to invest in the business, I think. Like I've, I've never not wanted to hire somebody. <laughs> That's probably like not, I need to be like more disciplined or something, but. Well, you are, yeah. it's, but it's, it sounds like you've already built the rule to, to save and built the rule to take care of your people and you've done that. And so now there's this extra money to, to literally invest back into the business, then it becomes a question of where to invest it, which yeah. is, you know, it sounds like your best investment is always a person. Yeah. And I think there's, there's two types of people you can hire. There's like a reactive hire that you need to make. Customer service normally falls into that where it's like the, the support team can't keep up with demand. That's an important hire, but like that doesn't grow the business. It just kind of keeps up. And then versus hiring, say a marketing person or a programmer where it's like, we could hire 20 of them right now. It doesn't matter what customer demand is. They'll grow things. But I mean, assuming it worked, they may or may not, but like they have the potential to. Um, so probably like extra money that I wasn't expecting in general should go towards that like growth versus maintaining what we've got. Does that sound right to you? Sure. I, I mean, I don't, I don't or, know about the rule. Who but, knows? Yeah, yeah, the specifics matter, but, I guess. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is the time to go out and make an aggressive hire, like a, a, a proactive investment in the future. Grow, and, and that comes into marketing, right? Yeah. Uh, it could be marketing. I mean, one thing we kind of need is a, a designer. Um, so that marketing and design are probably the next two proactive hires. And then we, we will need another support person at some point. So those are kind of the three people on my list right now. So one, uh, one thing I would suggest, you know, and then we can move on from this uh, topic that is that you probably, because this is a temporary increase in money, um, you probably Mm -hmm. want to hire someone who's going to pay, have a payback. Um, and it seems to me that you're probably going to hire the customer support person anyway, and the product designer thing, I, I don't know that there is a payback on that unless it frees up your time to go work on marketing. Um, and then the, th- the third would be like invest in someone who's going to, if they work out, you know, pay for themselves with new business. Um, that'd be so, so one way to think about yeah. this. I think that's great logic. I don't think we are in a position to, I don't think we would be putting a marketing person in a position to succeed right now. Um, I, I would love to be there, but I don't, you know, I've talked with you before. I kind of think the the model should be get something working well enough and then bring someone in to take it from like 70 to 100. We're not at 70 yet, so I just don't think I'm ready for that, but I like the logic. It seems like then your best bet is to save the money until you are ready for marketing or invest in a product designer to uh, free your time up. Freeing your time up, yeah. honestly, to fix the marketing, make the marketing more yeah. like 
more able to, uh, you know, be, be, be contributed to, um, by other people seems like the best use of capital. Yeah. And I, it frees up my time. It also, I mean, making the, a, a designer makes the product better, which it's a slow process, but it does, it does help with growth. But, but not, not better than the you. The same way, a, the same way a programmer. Well, maybe I'm not good at visual design. Okay. I, I, I'm good at like thinking, how could this be intuitive and easy to use? I don't make things look good. So actually, if you think of design as marketing, I'm bad at that type of design. Okay. Interesting. So, Anyway, we we can move on, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm counting money that was already there. I just didn't realize it was there. <laughs> um, yeah, how about you? What's up? So I thought that I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that there would be this grace period. I don't know this time of wow. I don't have anything to do after the deadline for open enrollment was passed, and that is not the case at all. Uh, hmm. it, it, enrolling, picking a plan, your own health insurance plan during open enrollment is step one. And that is the only thing that needs to get done by the 1215 deadline. That sets off a a, a slew of other things that need to happen from, you know, setting up, you're making your first payment, which is called a binder payment um, by the end of the month to secure coverage. If someone fails, let's just say they enroll on coverage on the last minute at 1215. If they don't pay their binder payment by 31st of December, their coverage can get canceled. Hmm. So, you know, there's this like next deadline. It's kind of like a next deadline up that, uh, yeah, I've got to chase people for. Um, and then it's, it's actually really, really hard because these sy- there's three systems I deal with, um, three types of systems I deal with. And there's a unique system for each insurance company and there's six insurance companies. So matching data, and make knowing whether someone's paid or not is actually more difficult than it would seem. You'd think like I could just log in somewhere and see if they paid. Well, no, there's the, there's, there's the marketplace healthcare.gov portal. There's the insurance company portal. And then there's sort of like my portal where I can mm-hmm. see things. And these people, they, they don't talk to each other very well. You know, maybe they send data one way, but not the other way. So you know, in one system, the person hasn't paid, but, you know, in their system, they have paid, but in my system, they haven't. Great. And so <laughs> it's, it's a reconciliation nightmare. Um, and, uh, anyway, I've, I, I spent the last seven days getting through that. Is this uh, data that you can access through an API? No, it is not. So you, so you don't see any way to automate this. Probably it's just, I mean, you could maybe have like better spreadsheets or something, but there's going to be a manual element to this no matter what yes this is a human element and what i'm finding is that i I'm, i suspect that it, there's a human element on the other end too because mm. today for example i found it, an error I, I a person uh, one of my clients had changed their plan uh, through the marketplace and uh let's one of the insurance companies i won't say the name uh you know hadn't recognized that change and i you know called them today and said what's going on with this because it was a massive difference in premium. They would, if they had stayed on their current plan, it would have cost them, you know, thirty three percent more per month. Like that's a lot of money, and uh, not, they would not have been very happy. Oh, and they were like, oh, it, it just got missed, it fell through the cracks, and, they, and then they fixed <laughs> wow. it. But it's like, what if I didn't catch that? I know this is probably like hard to do without seeming like a showboat, but that's your sales pitch right there, right? Like, what other insurance agent? is going through and catching that error, I wonder. Not many, I bet. 
I, I, there's probably no good way to do it, but if, if if every one of your potential customers could just hear what you just said, like that's a pretty compelling reason to go with you, I think. <laughs> that's that's nice to say. The point of my bringing this up, though, <laughs> is that uh, the I'm going to be busy through January with the busy season. It's not it doesn't end twelve fifteen for leg up health. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the the good thing is 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 about midday today, I got through all of that and got all all of the reminder emails out to our clients. Um, but this is definitely going to be a, to your point, going to be a scale challenge uh, with the lack of just frankly um, software systems that are built on the carrier side to to deal with this. So anyway, um, that's something to know for next year. Uh, mm-hmm. th- the other thing that that this sort of leads into is that it makes it really hard to do an annual reflection and planning process um, like you would with a normal business because there there really isn't time. You're still just working your butt off. So I've, I've, you know, I found it very difficult to put the time in that I like to put in at this time of year to reflect on what happened this year. Did I hit my, my calendar year goals? What, what went well, what didn't, um, and start planning the next year. Do you think, so you said you're going to be busy through, you said the end of January, I think, um, is, should you maybe just think of your year starts February? Like, will things calm down at some point or do you think it's like always going to be busy? No, I think February probably makes from a business standpoint, from a planning standpoint, a lot better. But it, there's something I love about the calendar year planning process that just yeah. aligns everything in my life around the calendar year. And I just, I don't know that I'd be interested in changing that. I've always thought it was weird when businesses have non-calendar fiscal years. And like a lot of the time, I don't think there's a good reason for it. But when I, when you do hear of a good reason, so for example, like universities all make it during the summer because like, they they care about the school year, not the calendar year, which makes a lot of sense. Um, anyway, I, I hear what you're saying that I also like the calendar year, but maybe this just isn't that type of business. Yeah. For me personally, I, I, I'm going to do some level of reflection and planning at this time of year. I just, I, I wasn't, I need to be much more thoughtful about planning it and and breaking it up into bite-sized pieces versus just thinking yeah. I'll have all the time in the world to think about it, which I have had in the past. But, okay, sorry to harp on this. You should make, like, there's having time and there's making time. And it would be very hard for you to make time right now, but you, you should probably be deliberate some other time of the year and say, I'm not just going to squeeze this in whenever I can. I'm going to set aside a week or however long it takes to really do this. When should that week be for you, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, well, weeks a long time. So you, when you say a week, however long, do it you is. mean do you mean just like hey, th- this week I'm not going to think about anything else other than planning, and I, I'm going to be thinking uh, in big and big numbers here, and in big and in, in big in macro topics. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I, obviously you don't have to do that at all. But I'm thinking we've we've talked before about if you had employees, like would you go on a company retreat with them? Like when, when would that type of thing happen? That would not happen right now. Um, that would happen yeah. multi, I think that's probably a multi-time per year thing. I don't know mm-hmm. when exactly, but, um, I, I do, I will make time for that. Uh, my gut throughout the year. for you, my gut is that the, the big thing for you is open enrollment, which starts in November. So I would say like at least one big strategic planning session should be happening what, two months, like some amount of time before that so that you're ready to really take advantage of it. Yeah, I like that. It's probably February um, for one. And then another one is going to be 
leading up into open enrollment. So probably July or probably July. August. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so probably February, August, August good. you know, February being like, what am I going to do prior to really focusing on growth? And then August being, what am I going to do to really focus on growth? Yeah. Cool. It's really, it's interesting you learning like what is the business going to be because this is the first like every month it's the first time you've ever gone through that month so it'll be fun next year when you're repeating it for the first time <laughs> yeah and of course by that time law will have changed regulations will have been, will have been issued uh yeah. you know technological breakthroughs in the insurance world will have happened like they will have upgraded to you know basic mobile apps um but but um, yeah, that that you asking me that question was actually really helpful. I've been putting off planning when to plan, and now I have a plan for planning, and I'll just go ahead and schedule that right after this recording yeah. and be done with it. Blocking time off on a calendar is so huge. I, I I hadn't really done that much until recently, but even just one day, if you're just like today, I'm not no meetings today. Oh, what a difference it makes. Mm-hmm. Yep, cool. I'm a big fan of calendaring things out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What What about anything else going on in your world? Um, I'm just kind of noodling around on some things. I don't expect us to like get an answer to any of this, but I'm just going to give an update on the things I'm thinking about. So as we all know, like people are getting vaccines and we're entering the, you know, the new year. And I think a lot of people are starting to think not that things will be back to normal right away, but you can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so we're starting to talk about what would need to happen for us to reopen the office, which leads to other questions like, are we going to change anything you know, before we had, you could pick one day per week to work remote. Everybody could pick one day. And we've dabbled with other ideas such as Tuesday and Wednesday, everyone's in the office, but the other days can be remote, which then led us to, well, should the office change? Like when our lease is up, if people are working remote three days a week, should we have a smaller office? Um, which led us to, what if people want to work four days a week instead of five days, which a couple of people are doing. So anyway, I just threw a lot of topics at you. Uh, we don't have to dive into each and every one of them, but. Uh, at the company, we've just kind of been talking about a lot of this stuff. And it's um, it's tough because it's one of those things. Humans hate losing what they had, right? Like new problems seem worse than existing problems you're used to. And every idea we come up with sounds better, but it's going to be hard losing what we were used to, if that makes sense. And wh why have you given on, up on hope? that you'll get back to what you're, you're used to. Why? It seems like you're giving up on that. I'm not giving up on it. I, I think it's worse. I think, so let me give an example because I know I threw a lot of different things out there. Um, I think the one day per week remote is worse than a number of other ideas um, in the sense, like I think what, what you should do is give as much, or what we should do is give as much remote time as possible optionally. Some people don't want to work remotely at all, but like the more flexibility employees have, the better. The problem is if you give too much remote time, the office culture suffers and no one wants to go into the office. So the people who do want to see people, their, their experience suffers. So how do you balance those two things? I think we've got a lot of ideas that balance it better than what we did before. It's just like, it's hard to do the new thing. And like, in so, it's like uh, two steps forward, one step back, but that one step back really hurts. You know what I mean? Why are you even considering the remote stuff? Why not just go back like you were? I, I guess because it's better. Because a lot of us, me, me in particular, I'm like this. I I love being remote right now. Ah, so you're well. So it sounds like you are. Why do you? I don't. That doesn't jibe with. It's two step forwards, one step back. 
Is it well? So, for example, like two thirds of the company will probably really like the fact that they don't have to commute, and one third of as much, and they'll have a lot more flexibility. They'll be able to spend more time with their families. Like, there's a lot of benefits to working remotely. But one third will be like, well, those three days a week when other everyone else is remote, I'm still going into the office, but the office environment isn't as good. And like meetings, how do you do meetings when two people are in the office and two people aren't? Do you do do you default to remote first, or do you make the experience better for the people in the office? We use this tool called Sococo. Do you use that when we're kind of in the office, but not every day? There's it, it'll be solvable. We just have to think through all this stuff. Yeah, I see. Th- this goes back to how difficult it is to be both a remote co- first company and a yeah. <laughs> you know, co-located company. Um, it sounds like you're choosing to be a co-located company first, and yes, yes. and so I would optimize the in-office experience, um, you know, first. So, I mean, I mean, it seems like. You know, if there's a if there's a decision between what's better for the in office people and what's better for the remote people, the decision is what's better for the in office people, um, and and so you have to prioritize the in office culture 100 percent of the time. Um, now, the one way to, one way to sort of make that moot is what what loose I I can't remember if if it's what company's doing this, but um, I heard a company recently say they're going to do um, they're actually scheduling the remote days. If you want to, you can work remote. X days of the week and it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, you're in office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but remote days are optional Tuesday through Thursday. And then, you know, everything sort of on those days, if you, if you went with that, you could say, you know, everything is about, is prioritized in, in favor of in office, you know, things on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but on Tuesday and Thursday, everyone has to act like the remote, even, even if they're in the office. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We're saying Tuesday and Wednesday would be the days where you're in person, but so, so there's, there's two dimensions here. Normally when you talk about hybrid, what you historically, what you've meant is some employees are fully remote and some employees are fully co-located. We're not doing that. You can't, everyone's going to need to be, you can't, you can't have a good office culture. Let's just say it. You cannot have a good in office culture. If, if anyone can be fully remote or the remote culture, someone's getting a, a shitty experience there. Yes. Right. I think it's different that the insight I've had and a lot of companies have had is it's different to say today it's fully remote and tomorrow it's fully co-located. So everyone's having the same experience, but you have to switch back and forth. So I think there's a big opportunity there to make, to find a better balance between the two than what we had before. It's just, you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs, you know? Have have you considered, I actually see it on the list here. Have you considered just um, shifting down to shorter weeks? Uh, yes, sort of related to this problem or independently. I think it's somewhat related to this problem. Um, eh, I, I think that, do do you mean, I don't think the whole company can go to shorter weeks. Like we have to have support coverage and a lot of people like myself, I want to, I, I don't particularly want a three-day weekend or whatever, but some people, since the pandemic started, we offered anyone the ability to go down to four weeks, so 80% time, get paid 80% as much. Two people took us up on it, and they're really happy. And so we are we are looking at, should we just build this in where we've even gone so far as to say, should like our job offers, should it be for four days a week, and you optionally can go to five rather than the other way around? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's probably a bigger topic than... We we have a lot of time to go into today, but the pandemic forced, I think, a lot of companies to reconsider a lot of stuff. 
there's no reason we shouldn't have been thinking about this stuff two, three years ago, but it just, we, you know, creativity was forced upon us. And now that we've had all these ideas, we're kind of thinking how much of this should continue being true after the world goes back to normal. So we're just going to keep noodling around with it. I might bring it as a topic maybe in January or something. Yeah, I'd love to discuss it more. It's, yeah. And it, do you feel like it's a little premature uh, to, to go through this? Or is, are you forcing this conversation because of the planning cycle that you're on or because it's yeah. the right time to solve this problem? Uh, it's premature to decide, but I don't think it's premature to start getting ideas and soliciting stuff. In particular, this is one of those things, some employees are going to benefit and some will like it less. And I want to get everyone coming to terms with what's probably going to happen as early as possible. It's so true. I mean, that's, I think that's probably the key insight here is when you have major things, when you have things coming up that require change um, and change for the better in some cases for, for, for some people, but change for the worse and other people, uh, it's a sign that you need to get ahead of it and start uh, you know talking about it so that you can get, so, so everyone can sort of have sufficient time to get through the change cycle. This isn't yeah. something you want to spring a decision on. Yeah. So, yeah. So like in our last weekly meeting, I just said, we have no decisions, but I just want everyone to know we're talking about this, you know, so that type of thing. So, and the, and the goal uh, isn't to get to an answer any, anytime, like in the short term, it's to get people talking about it so that everybody's heard. Yeah. I've told you my my term for this is cats on the roof. Cats on the roof. I won't yeah. I won't tell the whole joke again because it's long and boring. But I say I'm cats on the roofing this topic, which means that we don't have news yet, but there's going to be news that's coming, and get get ready for it. <laughs> yep. And now's the time to share your input. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the, the only other thing um, other than big topics. So anything else from you? Yeah, I have two things. First, just quick update. I haven't so. Lena uh, is wrapping up her employment with Leg Up Health in, uh, at the end of this month, and she's been helping me on a non-paid basis uh, from, let's see, May when we launched the product, uh, Leg Up Health product, uh, to I think it was August um, on, a, on a non-paid internship basis. And then she came on as a paid, uh, we'll call it intern, uh, from September through this month, and I have not yet met her in person. So, uh, to tomorrow we're going skiing together. It's actually my first time skiing, which is exciting uh, this year. And we're going to go to Deer Valley and uh, hang out for the first time. I need to remember to take a picture together. I always forget to do yes. things like that. Yes, definitely do that. That's awesome. It's so you know, twenty twenty so wild that you've never met her, but like that's not that weird these days. Totally, <laughs> totally. But it gives it, to to your remote conversation earlier, I, I, I think I'm going to try to make leg up health remote first to begin with and see how it goes. Um, I, I feel like we know each other. It'll be very interesting to see what it feels like to hang out in person because we spent so many, many hours together on video chat, um, yeah. in the last seven months, um, to see if there's something lost there that has to be kind of gained, um, or, or something, something that wasn't ever built, but I'm, I'm, I think it'll be pretty natural. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. We we have one employee that we hired who was an intern over the summer and I've only met her in person and that I like, I forget why, I had to drop something off at her apartment. And like for, you know, 30 seconds we were outside and I was just like, hey, but it didn't feel like I was meeting her for the first time. It felt like, oh, this person that I've known for several months, I'm just dropping something off. So yeah, I, I expect it'll be natural, but I'd like to hear how you feel afterwards. 
this is this is my first experience with this. You know, I I was a big online gamer growing up, but I never met. You know, mm-hmm. I never met the dark side twenty seven. You know, it was just <laughs> I, I just you know I never had to experience this. But I feel like if I met the dark side twenty seven, it'd be like, oh, I I know you, um, because yeah. we played so many death matches together. Yeah, the the next generation of you know college grads and stuff will be so much more like. I would be more nervous about starting a remote company prior to this year, but everyone's going to be used to it, I think. So, cool. Yeah, it's good. It's a good sign. So, and the the other, uh, just this is kind of a shout out. We've talked about Notion before on this podcast. Uh, we switched to it to for start to last planning, uh, our episode planning a few, maybe weeks ago. And I just made the switch for my personal planning Oh my God. I had no idea how many times I was, I didn't realize how many times I was switching like from email to docs, <laughs> uh, to <laughs> Google drive, to, uh, to Trello for my different things and being able to sort of embed all that in one place on one p- page or tree of pages is outstanding. So shout out to notion. I'm not the first, nor will I be the last person to, to say that. Do you see yourself making it one of the core tools for leg up health? Like, do you have a paid account yet? No, but um, I don't have anyone to share it with, and that's the primary right. driver of paid. So, um, you think you you'll pay as soon as you have oh, a reason yeah. to? Absolutely. This is this solves so many. Pr- I didn't. This solves all of the things I I do to butcher Google Docs that confuses the hell out of people. Because I link, <laughs> I have like this system where I link, you know, I have a master Google Doc, and then I link it to other docs, mm. and then it links to Trello, and it just confuses people. And this is this one account log into explore it and you'll get it by exploring it. I think notions best feature, which is the easiest, like the simplest thing they have is just that you have a sidebar with links to all your documents. Every other tool, it's like you, you open the document, you're in it and then you have to kind of back out to go somewhere else. And with notion, it's just one less click to get from one thing to the next. It's so minor, but it makes a big difference. The, the other, the other big thing for me, I was a big user of Trello. And I say was, because I'm not going to be a user of Trello anymore. Um, Kanban bo- embeddable Kanban boards. What mm-hmm. is that is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Having said that, I'm entering the next phase. I'll, I'll be curious to see if this happens to you. Where now I'm used to Notion, the magic has worn off. I still absolutely think it was the right decision to switch to it, and it's incredibly useful. I am getting so fucking frustrated with Notion all the time. In particular, their text editor is like beyond awful. It disables autocorrect. You can't select multiple lines of bullet lists. Like there's all kinds of problems. So still worth using, but man, I, it, it is a product that leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> it, it, totally. It's structurally awesome, but micro on a micro basis using different features, it can be annoying. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, all right. So we're all done with updates and all that. Should I, you want to move into a bigger topic? Let's do it. I don't actually know if this will be a big topic. I just have like, I have a hypothesis to throw at you. It's something I've thought about. I don't have any data to support this. So I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, I've been thinking recently. So I'm, I'm starting to think about marketing projects for myself next year. And one thing that I kind of thought of is, would you agree that marketing trend, marketing in many cases is trend-based? There are some things that have always worked and will always work, but every so often a new marketing trend comes along. It works really, really well until everyone finds out about it. And then it gets overdone and it stops working. Like LinkedIn. 
Yeah, when you're the only one cold outreaching on LinkedIn, it probably works. Or, or cold email. My understanding is like five years ago, cold email. If you just like, I'm going to research this person, send them an email. It's a good email. It's not spam. Nobody was doing that. And now, how many of those a day do you get? Like, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> okay, so the problem is when these trends happen, they don't work on my customers. And the reason, I shouldn't say they don't, but a lot of them don't. And the reason is my customers are not on the cutting edge. So for example, I think maybe four years ago, Less Annoying Serum tried to start a podcast. There are a lot of reasons it didn't work. I, I honestly don't think it was very good. But one of the reasons is we were asking around and like our customers don't listen to podcasts. What's a podcast? Nobody knows, Rick. Yeah. But I'm glad we record these conversations. <laughs> no, that's. I was meaning like that's how your customers oh, okay. are. When Sorry. you said like, yeah. "Hey, we're going to record a podcast," four years ago, I would have right. been. I probably would have been one of the people like, "What's a podcast?" Yeah. So like, I've. I, th this isn't true for everything. Cold email probably would have worked because our customers do open their email. But with something like podcasting, like by the time our customers are listening to podcasts, there are a million podcasts. Like everyone has done it, and it's really competitive. But. Okay, that's the premise. Do you do you buy what I'm saying so far? And Any high, le high level uh, things that are new in in the startup world, and uh, you know the the the, the social world that we sort of involve ourselves in um, are way too early for mm -hmm. um, your customer base, um, and probably my customer base to a degree too, and, and therefore uh, at some point they will be the you know prime time. And that, you know what? What is the time period? How long do you have to wait on a new trend before it will work on your customer base? Yeah. So let me pivot for a second, and then we'll get back to this. Mm -hmm. For for years, because I, I I've thought I used to live in San Francisco, and while in San, and then I'd, I'm from St. Louis in the Midwest, and I'd come back home, and I'd look around, and I'd be like, oh, you all don't have like Korean food didn't make it here yet, and I could just say like you're going to have a million Korean restaurants in like three years. I know for a fact, because coastal cities already are there. I'm living in the future. If I were a food-based entrepreneur, I would just go to the coasts, see what's trendy. Like th when I moved away from San Francisco, it was poke bowls. Go to St. Louis and open a restaurant doing that. And lo and behold, it would have worked. There's a bunch of poke restaurants here in St. Louis now, five years later. What about Korean barbecue? Yes, that well, that I, I'd say that was like right before the pokey trend was the the Korean trend, which I'm I'm here for. Korean's the best food in the world. Uh, <laughs> so I've often thought just living in the future by being on the coasts and then kind of importing that into the Midwest, you you could start a pretty successful chain of local businesses doing that. Consumer consumer focused businesses. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, that concept. I'm trying to think. Does that apply to this marketing trend? Because you and I live somewhat on the cutting edge, we see these marketing trends. It's too early for our customers. Are we seeing the future though? Would it work to say this marketing trend worked on startup founders five years ago or three years ago? It's going to work on old school small businesses now. I and if so, I'm almost wondering if my marketing roadmap should just be like, take the trends from three years ago. I think so. Um, the only difference is that there are a lot of people, there, there's a lot of people spamming the, so there, there's, when a trend is new, it's truly new. There isn't any noise. The mm -hmm. challenge with, go, you know, the going after the lagged trend with, with a, you know, later adopter of the, of the trend is that there's a lot more noise that you have to deal with um, from, I mean, 
there's so many, like take podcasting, for example. I think you could actually build a really cool, less annoying CRM podcast interviewing small businesses for small businesses. Um, how that would work, I don't know, but I think there's a really interesting content opportunity right there for if you can figure out how to make it quality. But you're competing. There, there's so much noise. There's a lot. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, maybe it would be really cool and it would work, but now that, you know, would it stand out much harder to same thing with LinkedIn. Let's say that your people are now just getting on LinkedIn, just as that example, there's so many more people just going down LinkedIn, spamming people that, you know, noise. So yeah, I think like, yes, that's a good idea, but you have to have a solid plan of how you're going to break through noise. Okay. And the reason that's not true with my restaurant example is because restaurants are local. Whereas podcasts are like all of the podcasts made on the metaphorical coasts are also noise for the metaphorical Midwest here. Does that sound right? Like I'm trying like, I'm trying to think like, yeah, there's a lot of noise, but it didn't work four years ago. Like the podcasting, I think it was not working on my customer base, but all of the podcasts that were working are still there creating noise. Whereas the Korean restaurants in San Francisco were not creating noise in St. Louis. So this gets into real estate, right? Like, is it noise in my area? I don't know. Yeah. And th- there's, there's, there's virtual area and then there's real world, world area in the real world area in Missouri or St. Louis, there wasn't a whole lot of noise. So opportunity. So maybe the, the right way to think about this is where, where, what are the trends and where, where can we take advantage of those trends where there isn't a whole lot of noise yet? Okay, so I'm just trying to think through scenarios where this might work. So this is like a very made-up scenario. But if there's some way to have a booth at a conference that's working really well at tech conferences, but it hasn't made it to travel agent trade shows yet, I could probably take that idea to a travel agent trade show, and there's no noise there yet because it's not, it's not there. How about that? Because it's, it's basically got this like firewall where like did the, did the noise from the cutting-edge people does it create noise for the people we're targeting? In some cases, the answer is yes. In some cases, the answer is no. And this strategy only works if the noise doesn't bleed over. Or you have a plan to massively differentiate yourself yeah. from that noise. Right. Although, I mean, that's just true of marketing in general. Like, totally. Yeah. That's just hard. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Yep. <sighs> I don't have any specific ideas on how to apply this right now, but I'm, I, I think it's a framework I want to play well, with. Do you have any, I'm wondering if there are specific trends that you've thought of. Podcasting was a really good example. Um, I think it's a little late for this, but maybe it's not. Like, So community is getting really big right now. It's not like new. Online communities have existed for a long time, but there's a huge, huge wave of this going on in tech. So that might be... I guess the problem is I'm talking, that's something now, that's probably too early, if anything. Um, so yeah, what was happening two years ago, three years ago? Newsletters? I don't think that's new enough, but maybe. Um, what about like Instagram for biz- small business owners? Yeah, that's a good point. I actually have on my list, are there influencers for small business owners that you could sponsor? We've never looked at that, but Probably, I, I don't even I don't even have an Instagram account, so I I would need to. I'm out of my element there, but maybe I just thought of something. You know, one one way to think about this is sort of like the long tail uh, of search. So when SEO was really you know booming and all the big boys were getting getting the really high like 
highly targeted key, like simple keywords. Like if you typed in books, it was Amazon, but you mm-hmm. could, you could, you could identify a long tail of keywords that hadn't been targeted yet and go after those. I wonder if there's like a similar, uh, uh, long tail with some of these trend yeah. opportunities that would be a place where there's no noise and you know, people, because there's more people, you know, adopting the trend. Um, there's not there, th- those, those longer tail opportunities are, are a big enough opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of what niching down like in SAS right now, everyone knows it's probably not a good idea to start a CRM company right now or to start an ERP or a project management company, but to start a CRM company for a specific, this is for, you know, people who make web content, paid newsletters, whatever you could make a specific, a niche one. That's kind of the equivalent of that's like long tail product development almost. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, it seems like if you could get so so kind of wrapping that up, it's like if you could identify some tr- a group of trends and then niche don't apply that to your whole base, but yeah, get more getting back into the niche specific targeting that we talked about before COVID hit. Maybe some of these things would work in aggregate. Yeah. And, hmm. and, and okay. it would be a big enough opportunity to make it worth the time to go after the trend in the first place. I think that's the, the hard part about all of this. Yeah, although I'm probably going to talk about So right after this, we're going to record our end of year episode, and I'll probably talk about it in there. But more and more, I've been thinking, I need to accept very, very small marketing wins. Um, I think one of my problems has been, I'm only going after things that like seem like they can really move the needle for us. And it's just too hard. Like th- things build gradually over time. And I just need to start off. Like if I can get one new user a month from a channel, I'll take it. Um, so I, I agree. It needs to be able to grow to it. But that's the great thing about trends. If we can see the future, we'll be like, this is going to be huge for our, you know, in a few years, but it's not yet. I think that's actually, that'd be perfect for me. Cool. Yeah. That'd, I, very. I'd be very interesting when, when, interested once you start developing, you know, here the, I'm living in the future with these trends and you have a list of those trends because I can't think of them right now and I, yeah. they're hard to think of, but you're going to, if you put time into it, I'd love to hear them on this podcast, what you come up with. Yeah. I, th- you know what I should just do is look through, we're both subscribers to trends.vc and there's other trend. I, this is actually, this is a trend right now is people talking about trends. Um, oh God. <laughs> I mean, it is, isn't it? Have you, I feel like it's a new thing sort of. Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Oh, anyway, I, I almost think, can I just go through that and see like, what are the things today that are really trendy, but where I feel like I, I, I'm just a little bit late. I just should go through that list and say, yeah, like that's, that's the list of ideas to try. It's, it's sort of like that book traction, which says, you know, here's 50 ways to acquire like, like distribution channels to get customers find, pick eight, test out three, one will work. And that's your mind. And then just do it over and over and over. I almost feel like I should execute that playbook, but rather than using the 50 channels in the book, I should use the 50 things that trends.vc has written about or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. This probably won't go anywhere, but I'll, I'll put some thought into that and let, let you know if uh, I come up with any good ideas. <laughs> so I, I'm really interested in your next topic, which is uh, should companies donate money? Yeah. Well, let's just start there. I'm, I'm just going to like not say anything else. Do you think companies should donate money? I feel like that is, uh, I can't answer that absolutely for any company. Um, I, I think should companies give back is different than donate money. Um, and mm-hmm. should, 
should companies give back? Yes, if they can afford to and they're successful, yes. But if you can't afford to feed yourself, worrying about feeding others seems like the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. So let's, for the sake of this conversation, let's assume the company's profitable. It has some extra cash. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier. The question is, where does that cash go? You could pay it out to employees. You could lower prices for customers. You could invest, reinvest in the business, pay it to shareholders, or donate it to a charity, basically. The reason I'm bringing this up is some employees recently approached me and were like, "Here, you know, here's a charity that we think is really timely right now. It's doing good work. The company has more money than any of us individually have. The company should consider supporting this. Um, so I've, I'm already kind of through thinking through this, but I'm interested. Like, so I don't want to spoil what we said without getting your kind of unfiltered thoughts first. But how would you approach this? So I'm dealing with something similar at Legup Health where, okay, the business is working. And I think there's two reasons to do charity. I, I, I think like one... Well, there's one reason to do charity and at the end of the day, and that is it makes it, it does something for you or your company that is good. And that is the rational reason to, to, to give back. I'm sure you can argue that there's other like more spiritual reasons and that, but at the end of the day, it's a good, generally you should, if it's a good decision to give, to give money or to give time, give back to the community, you should do it. What are some of those good reasons? One good reason is that it helps your business. Um, Either because the goodwill that it you know generates that makes it easier to acquire new customers, or you know have partnerships in the community that help your business, or you know make employees happy and proud of working there. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd first look at it through the lens of will is investing in this charity, you know a good you know the best investment for this company, and will it you know is it a rational decision? And if it checks that box, then the question becomes, how am I going to do that? Um, you know, is it better to like give people money to invest in their own charities and let the, each employee decide how to do that? Or is this something that the company should do under its brand? Um, that, that is a separate decision for me, but the first one is, is it rational to, to, to give back? Yeah. So in the world of like diversity, there's this, I, uh, this term performative allyship, which basically means you are an ally to underrepresented groups only to put on a performance to get credit for being an ally, not because you actually want to help anyone. I feel like that same term, there's probably this concept of like performative charity where it's like, you don't care about helping anyone. You think it rationally helps grow the business uh, or, or it makes employees think that, you know, it's a PR move basically. Do you think that's ethical? Listen, I, I'm not talking, this, this is getting into an, a conversation about human nature and whether yeah. we do anything for any reason other than selfish reasons. And dep- <laughs> it depends on like, at the end of the day, like I'm a pretty big believer that every action can be traced back to some selfish motivation. Um, mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, this is all about just making a rational decision based on that, you know, in mind. So ethical or unethical, like for you and at your company, Diversity inclusion is important to you. We can go into all day like why that's important to why? you. Yeah, yeah. But but that's not the point. It is important to you. It's important to your employees. So it's rational probably for you to invest in you know DNI stuff and not to worry about whether you know it's ethical or not. Why you are doing it? Um, okay, but, sure. But, but, but is it good? You know, a good decision for you to do it for your business seems like a reasonable one. Yeah. Okay. So there's two 
I think two questions we're getting here. One is, will this lead to selfishly good outcomes? And you're, we're not casting any judgment on whether it's good or bad to do that. And the other is like, however you arrived on this decision, do you feel like this is a part of your purpose on earth or whatever? Like, do you think it's a good thing to do? Um, there's a book called Winners Take All. I don't know if you've, I've, I've referenced it before. It's one of my favorite books. One of the premises of it, it's basically saying that uh, over the last, I don't know, 50 years or whatever, actually pr prior to that, like the Gilded Age, basically very, very rich people do PR through philanthropy to um, cover up the fact that in order to get very rich, they had to do things that people should not approve of, for example, avoiding taxes. It makes the claim it's more honorable or more, it's, it, there's better benefit to society to not make the money in the first place than to make the money and to like, quote unquote, do good with it. So like, I always roll my eyes when a company's like, oh, buy our product and we'll give 10% to this charity. It's like, fuck you, I'll give 10% to the charity, charge me less. Like, I, I, why, why is it a selling feature to me as a customer that you are deciding how to donate my money for me? And the best part is when you dive into how they're actually doing that, it's like a piece of like, take, take a sandwich shop that you're buying this like super nice sandwich. And then you look at the sandwich that's being gifted. It's like a 50 cent sandwich. And it's yeah. like a piece of like stale bread with like one slice of moldy ham. And, and that's what you're, you're giving when you, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, I agree. it's pure marketing. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think that type of thing, in my opinion, is even remotely about doing good. It's pure performance, which to your point earlier, if it works, arguably fine, but like, it doesn't work on me. I'm that, that doesn't mesh. It doesn't work on values. you, but, but, but I could see there's two types of companies there. One who's doing it purely for marketing purposes and one who truly cares about the outcome that they're trying to achieve and integrating that within their, 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 their business model. Um, there, there, there are two situations there that aren't the same. I would argue, don't talk about it then. If you're, if you're advertising, buy this thing from us and we'll donate it. That's marketing. If, if I buy the thing and I don't know it's going to get donated and you donate it, maybe, maybe it's something else. Um, what, okay. So let, let's get more into the nitty gritty here. One challenge we ran into is if you, if the company starts donating towards and I'm talking about purely financial cause. Like, we're taking money and giving it to a nonprofit. Not, I'm getting involved in this cause and actually trying to, like, use our expertise to help. Uh, one big problem is, like, how do you pick the charity? So this was one of the challenges we ran into is the, that's effectively, like, the company endorsing that position. And if you have a growing team of employees, people are going to prioritize different things. And it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's a slippery slope, I think. Yeah, you that's can tell where I'm and, leading yeah, here. And that's where I go to like, hey, like this is a leg up benefit opportunity. Give people a, a you know, money like give people more money in their salary and let them choose how to give or give them mm -hmm. a, an allowance that they choose how to allocate um, or a stipend that they choose how to allocate to their charities of their choice. But this this is sort of something different, which is this is personal giving. This this becomes personal giving, not company giving. And where there's still a question of where does company giving take place. Um, I'm wondering where you ended up on this. So, yeah. So here's where we ended up. We said, if the company is going to get involved in something, it should be related to what we do in one way or another. It doesn't make sense for us to be like, we're going to build, you know, wells in sub-Saharan Africa. Like, not that that's a bad thing to do by any means, but what does it have to do with the company? If that's what we want to do, we should either pay the money to employees or charge our customers less and, and let the, the good be done by, by that. Um, 
There are two ways to still do good, though. One is something we've done in the past is Bracken, my co-founder, and I did a matching donation drive thing, but it was our money, not the company's money. So we said, we picked, I don't know, five or six nonprofits, and we said, if any of you donate to any of these, just tell us how much and we'll match it. Um, it's a similar thing, but it's not the company, it's individuals. That's personal relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But f- from the marketing standpoint, I think the company still gets a lot of credit for it. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, People appreciated being at a company that did that. But the bigger thing is, we basically said, we should have a personal expertise, a thing to offer beyond just money. If it's just money, we should be giving the money to individuals and letting them donate it. There needs to be something that's actually related to what we do as a company. And that's what we do at the fellowship. We say, we know how to code. We can teach people how to code. We know how to design. We can teach people how to design. We hire employees. Diversity is related to that. Um, so we basically said, we, we want to invest a lot in, in doing good and giving back, but it should be more than just a financial investment. Cool. I totally agree with this. And I actually ended up in a very similar spot for leg of health when I was thinking about this in the hmm. last couple of weeks. Do you have anything to share on that? Like, are, are you going to be doing anything? Yeah. So I, I knew advocacy was really important as part of our business model and our positioning in the, in the market. One, because I really care about it. It's where I've spent my, I've spent my entire career in the space and I have not shied away from sort of standing up for the little guy as, as you know, when it comes to dealing with regulators or dealing with um, the, you know, legislatures. Le- yeah, even in a lot of fights with uh, insurance commissioners back in the day. <laughs> I was, yes. Um, and that to me was, you know, it's not, some people say it's God's work, but I felt like it was a calling. Like I, no one else was going to do it unless I did. Um, and I think those are good signs that you're doing it for the right reason. Um, so anyway, I, what is leg up health? I knew I, we don't have any major policy issues to deal with right now. Um, it's much more important for us to focus on building our service within the existing policy constraints than trying to change policy right now, but that'll be down the road. But, but one thing just hit me in the face in the last couple of weeks, and that is the number of people who have Medicaid, um, in Utah is so large and nationally, like it's a big percentage of the American population. We as a company don't make money on Medicaid, but there's no one out there who's, I shouldn't say no one. There are very few you know, people out there who are helping Medicaid people, hmm. people on Medicaid navigate, you know, find Medicaid, use Medicaid and manage Medicaid. And so I'm seeing Medicaid as an opportunity for us to sort of give back to the community by saying, hey, Medicaid users, use our software. We're going to serve you just like you were uh, one of our you know, private insur- insurance clients, but we're not going to get paid and we're going to figure out how to fi- finance that as part of the business model. And it's our way of giving back to the community. And I feel r- damn good about it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. C- can you give me an example, having been lucky enough to never be on Medicaid, like what are the types of challenges people face that you can help them with? Uh, one is dealing with the government. And I think if, you've, if, if you are a low income person and you have to get Things become harder for many different reasons, whether it's you know getting a driver's license, uh, filing taxes, getting to and from one place, um, and dealing with getting enrolled in Medicaid and and making sure that you maintain eligibility and check the boxes required by the government to do that um, is mm-hmm. one aspect of it. The second is you know the same complexity that any other person would have about their health insurance coverage, which is what's covered, you know what providers can I see. 
Um, what happens in this scenario if something happens? Answer, you know, those those use questions. And then yeah. the third the third is I, you know, dealing with life events. I have I had a kid, you know, I had, you know, I, you know, I um I got actually got a job. I'm making money now. How does this affect my Medicaid eligibility? You know, do I need to switch to a private insurance company plan? Those types of things. Um so let me, that's, that all sounds really great. I, I could see you doing a lot of good with that. Um, back to that book, Winner Take All, what they kind of say is there's this idea of a win-win and that in most cases, it's not actually win-win, but I'm going to go against the grain of that book and say maybe in some cases there are. I hadn't thought about it in these terms, but what, what you and I are both saying here is we're going to do things that are related to our business, not just donate to some random cause. Is there a win-win here? And what I mean is like, does it create a flywheel where this actually helps your business? You make more money, and then you can invest more money back into helping. Yes, and that's why I'm doing it. It's it's that's why it's it's sustainable, and that's what is so exciting about it. How does it help your business? A Medicaid. Uh, first of all, we have four Medicaid users currently. Um, they they all are so appreciative of what we're doing for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank like it's four thank yous instead of one thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And and they have friends who are not on Medicaid, who mm. are on who buy their own health insurance. They too are in between jobs and will need to go, you know, buy health insurance on the private market at some point in time. So they're future, you know, agency clients. Um, it, it's that it's that local and, and it's branding, like word of mouth branding. Yeah. So how do you maybe you haven't gotten this far? How how many resources do you devote to this? Like, are you actually gonna spend money to market to you know, Medicaid participants or just like if they happen to find you, they find you. This is what I'm thinking about. Like it's on my list to figure out in the next six weeks, which is what are the higher level question is what is our advocacy plan for Mm -hmm. our local community advocacy plan for 2021. Um, Medicaid's at the top of the list currently, but you know, there are the things we could do. Um, But what, what, what is enough? What can we afford to do? Number one, and then what's enough? One one way to approach it is, you know, as we come across people with Medicaid, we're going to help them. Another is to dedicate specific, you know, marketing resources um, to Medicaid populations that are likely to have Medicaid. Given our state of the business, it's probably going to be we're going to help every Medicaid person we come across. Yeah. Yeah, certainly I wouldn't imagine you like turning anyone away, but there's there's a lot of control you have over how, how aggressive are you about trying to actually prospect the the that group of people, but I think uh, that, I'll be inter- I, yeah, I think yeah, I think ahead. it's going to be, you know, in our normal prospecting, you know, every leg up benefits customer so far has had at least one person on Medicaid. Um every mm-hmm. uh leg up every uh, you know, let's just call it 20 or so leg up health users has Medicaid. So if we just continue, you know, growing like we're yeah. growing, there's going to be, you know, t- let's call it 10%-ish, you know, 5 to 10%-ish of our client base that is on Medicaid. And I think maybe maintaining that would be a good good goal. That makes sense. I, I like that a lot. Um, that seems like the perfect, bl- like, as you can tell from this conversation, I'm pretty critical in general of businesses using like doing good because it it can be used as a shield for doing so much bad. I think what you're what you're talking about is a perfect fit. All that. So here's here's the last question I've got for you. Do you then go out and try to win PR points for doing this? PR points. I don't know. I think it is part of our branding, and it needs to be. We need to 
explain that we do it so that Medicaid people mm-hmm. know that we do it. But do we want to make it, is it, does the person who is, do we need to be, do I want to be known for the company that does Medicaid customer service? No, I want to be known for the company that helps, you know, advance, make, make health insurance less co- complicated for people who buy their own health insurance of which Medicaid are some of those people. So you've talked before about doing some, like, uh, I guess it is a subset of PR, but like reaching out to, you are on Park City television or reaching out to like journalists or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of journalists would be more interested in writing about you helping people on Medicaid than they would be about you being an insurance agent with a better software product. Yeah, that's probably true. I guess if it came up in conversation, I would probably answer the question, but it wouldn't be, I, I don't, I think that there's a, I'm I'm different in, than a lot of companies and that I'm trying to be very intentional about what leg up health means to the world. And mm-hmm. I think that any PR that I that I went after with, you know, the title leg up health, you know, contri- you know, gives back to the community sort of gets I don't know. I, mean, I don't I don't feel it's good about unsavory. it. It's unsavory. Yeah. It's uns- but I mean, what if it happened organically? What if you didn't go prospect it? And so this happened to us in a very minor way when the US News and World Report uh, gave us the number one rating this year. One of the big things they talk about in their review of us is the coding fellowship. I don't even know how they found it. It's not uh, the only place on our website. It's like buried on the about page, uh, a link to it. But they found it and they they wrote us wrote it up without ever talking to us about it. This is gonna. It's very possible that this happens to you. I wouldn't have I a problem. You're with that. not mad about that. No, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I I I just. It's not the primary business. So I just can't imagine yeah. doing press around it. I, I don't know. It didn't even cross my mind that I would do press around it. Now, if it came up and people wanted to talk about it, I'd be happy to, but that would happen probably because people talked about it, not because I talked about it. Yeah. The thing is the people on the other end of the story aren't going to know the difference. They're not going to know, did Rick contact this reporter or did this reporter find out about it on their own? Um, hmm. I don't really care what other people think, though. I, I, I mean, at the end of the you day, you just don't want your. But but you know, your motives are good. I, my like, why, are good. What my does intention, it hurt to my, to maximize your odds of getting an article written about you? Yeah, I'd say if, my intentions are, are good here. I'm not trying to trick anyone. I'm trying to help people, and so I, I guess I'm not too worried about the scenario you're going the the, the, the scenarios you're you're going down. I mean, I, I'm I think I'm arguing. This is very uncharacteristic for me. I think I'm think I'm arguing you should be going after PR for it. Maybe not yet because you're not established enough, but like you're doing a good thing for the right reasons. Why not take credit for it? Listen, I, I think that part of our positioning is, you know, hey, we are going to advocate for the community. That's why we're different. Um, but okay. I don't want that's not our lead. And, and I don't think it ever will be. Um, I don't think it, that 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 that's not what we are. It's only 10% of five, you know, in this case, maybe 5% of what we are. Yeah. Maybe PR won't be a big thing for you anyway, but my, if you read articles, no one's writing articles about some business that's just doing, doing their job well. There's always a hook and it, it might not be this, but it's, I don't think it's I see, what I you're see, currently doing either. Yeah. I see this as a proof point under the larger thing of what we're doing that I do think is PR worthy. And that is, you know, helping consumers navigate the black box of health insurance um, and yeah. doing it without raising a bunch of VC and doing it qual- with high quality okay. of which Medicaid, you know, Medicaid's one point. Cool. 
Well, it sounds like we're pretty aligned here. I, I, I um, want to know what you did. Like, what did what did you end up doing? We basically said no. In a, I mean, I I, I taught, explained all of our reasoning, and it was like. I'm, you know, very, very worried. So first of all, picking charities, all we're doing is transferring money. We're not contributing any other value. I don't think this is what our role is. Two, very, very nervous about picking charities. Um, even people who are very aligned, like every time someone donates to a animal shelter, I'm like, I like animals, but there are people who are starving. What are we doing here? Uh, I'm worried about that happening. Um, so I basically said, Bracken and I will probably do another donation matching thing sometime in the future, but the company is probably never going to donate money. Instead, we're going to funnel all the resources we have within our kind of charity budget. We're going to put them towards the fellowship or other kind of things that we actually have more of a personal involvement with. Cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Cool. Anything right. else you want well, to cover today? To no, I think we're good. All right. Um, hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role and helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.